now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you every week in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Carrie Augustini, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector from InspectTech. If you need an opinion from experts in insurance, mortgages, or building inspections, call. They are great people to know. Denise, Carrie, and Carrie uh, are local experts. They'd be happy to help you out. And if you need their contact information, visit the CFAX 1070 website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. Their contact information is all there, or you can always find me on social media or everywhere online. As your host for all these weeks on this great weekly real estate show that I always enjoy doing because I learn so much every time I'm here. Uh, It's just part of my involvement in the community here. I have been helping people buy or sell real estate for 27 years. I've seen almost every situation you can imagine. And I'd be happy to help you out as well, too, if you're looking for some help either buying or selling real estate. You can find me, my direct website address on the Prime Real Estate team is www.primeteam.ca, primeteam.ca, or my email address, tony at primeteam.ca. The B.C. legislature is now back in session, and one of the big questions on seemingly everyone's minds is what will happen with a controversial speculation tax, which is proposed but not yet implemented. My guest today is the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson, and we'll be talking about this very subject. Let's start our show with our usual weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate or a story to tell, we'd be happy to hear. Give us a call. The number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or again, find us online or email me directly. Oh, by the way, if you are a podcast listener, you could always listen to our shows. We are on iTunes and Google Play. Just look up The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. So our question this week was an email from Dorothy. Dorothy's email reads, Is there any harm listing our house for sale at our dream price, which is higher than our agent recommends? We can always reduce the price if we don't get offers, can't we? Thanks, Dorothy. Great question. Actually, very relevant today because the market has changed. We're no longer in the crazy marketplace where sellers uh, put on a dream price on their house and then, boom, they get multiple offers, upward bidding. Uh, That happened for a few years here in uh, Victoria. I'm not sure we're ever going to see that market again, by the way, because that that really was crazy time. We're getting back to normal now, right now. A little more inventory in the marketplace. Sales are softening a little bit. By the way, that doesn't mean that the market is going down. It just means that we're getting back to a more normal, more balanced marketplace. Um, So right now, a lot of sellers are trying to figure out what their best option is is as far as pricing their home for sale is concerned. This is the reason why Dorothy has asked the question. Now, Dorothy, we get this all the time. You know, it's very common for us in the real estate business to hear, why don't we price high? We can always reduce later. Well, let me run you through some of the scenarios that you will bump into if that is what you choose. Number one, 
you will lose your highest amount of activity because whenever a listing is brand new, that's when all the eyeballs are on it. That's when all the showings occur. That's when all the um, uh, uh, traffic around the house occurs. It's always when the listing is brand new, typically within the first seven to 10 days. That's when the majority of the showings happen with the house. Now, one of the reasons for that is buyers are always looking for fresh properties. You know, nowadays with technology, a, uh, agents are sending their buyers properties as they come on the market, minute by minute. And people are always looking for the new inventory that comes on the line. So here's the thing. If you are priced high and a buyer sees the property and says, you know, it's an area that I like, the house looks nice, but I'm looking at other houses as well too. This one here seems to be $50,000 or $100,000 overpriced. Well, guess what? They're not going to bother looking at the house. In fact, they'll probably sit there and wait. They may even say to themselves, you know what? We'll wait for a little while and uh, we'll see if that property reduces in price. But here's the problem with the next number, the next step. The next step is buyers typically won't come back. So even if you did get people looking at the house when it was overpriced, uh, they will say, yeah, it's nice, but it's not really grabbing me, uh, especially at the value level. They go away. They start looking at other houses. Very rarely do they ever come back because they're on to the next thing, right? Uh, the other thing about overpricing is you're going to help the other listings in your neighborhood. Because what happens is if you are quite a bit higher in price to the other similar properties in your neighborhood, what will happen is your house will, ha will give the effect of making the other houses look more attractive. So you're actually going to be helping them sell as opposed to helping yourself sell. With all of these things in mind, what's going to end up happening is your listing will get stale. It'll get tired. Now, you're probably looking out there in the marketplace right now. You look at properties on realtor.ca or from your agent. One of the things that you look at is DOM, days on market. How long has a property been on the market? Because there's some urgency and it might be of interest to you if it's been seven days in the market. But what happens if it's 60 days in the market or 140 days in the market as I looked at one today? What's the first thing you think about? What's wrong with the house? Why is it still there? Why is it unsold? Even if the price is good, you might look at it and say, well, they've reduced their price $100,000, $200,000, but there's still something wrong with that, and there's no rush for me to go and check it out. You think about this. When you go to the bakery, the bakery puts its day-old items on another shelf, and it does not command the same price as the fresh stuff that just came out of the oven. So your house will end up getting stale, uh, and it's going to be very difficult for you to get people back. The last thing to note is your chances of failure will be high with an overpriced listing. Now, as I said at the very beginning, right now, it's a timely conversation because pricing is crucial. There's an old saying in the real estate business that 80% of your success has to do with the pricing of your home because not every house sells. Now, in a strong market with multiple offers, that wasn't necessarily true. Things did sell and, you know, prices were going upwards. But right now, because there are other choices, because there are, um, there isn't the urgency that buyers had before, um, there isn't that sort of craziness that uh, accompanies a strong buyer's market. And consequently, you've got a pretty small window of your ability to, to succeed and have a sale. As I said before, it's seven to 10 days typically is when all the activity will happen. If you're on the market 
past 50 days, 60 days without an adjustment, without uh, a change in marketing plan perhaps, then what's going to end up happening potentially is your listing contract will run out. At that point, you'll need to decide if you want to continue on with your agent, if that agent did a good enough job for you uh, in the marketing of the home, or also, too, if they gave you the right advice to start off with uh, pricing-wise. And uh, if the contract does does end, it's something what we call an expired listing. And, you know, in today's day and age, we're seeing a lot more expired unsold listings than we did in the strong marketplace. It's a function of the market. Not every house sells, even in the strongest of real estate markets, it is rare for more than 75% of the listings to sell. It's it's a very strange, uh, very strange uh, um, uh, number there, but uh, it is true. Not everything sells. It is price related, and the reason for that, by the way, is even in a strong market, there are overpriced properties too. So those are the things that you should consider, Dorothy, and anyone else thinking about selling as well too. Pricing is crucial. And I would be wary about any agent that comes by and says, oh, yeah, you know, we'll get for you your dream price without being able to justify in the background where your pricing stands relative to the rest of the marketplace. There is an exact science to this, by the way. Uh, It is easy enough to see what other properties are selling for, what other people have been getting. uh, And that's how market values are established. It's not just what you want. It's not, sadly not just what you need as well, too, because that is something that comes into play every once in a while. Thank you for your question, Dorothy. And for anyone else, if you've got a question that you'd like us to cover here on our show, visit me, Tony at primeteam.ca, Tony at primeteam.ca, or call 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. By the way, if you have a business uh, or product that is real estate related, I'd love to hear from you. We can either have you on the uh, telephone or as a guest in our studio here uh, to talk more about what you do. Today, we'll be talking about the BC speculation tax with the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Wilkinson. He's going to be with us right after the break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our guest today is Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew Wilkinson was re-elected MLA for the riding of Vancouver, Quilchina in 2017, and he currently serves as leader of the official opposition. As a little backgrounder here, uh, Andrew uh, previously served as Attorney General and Minister of Justice, Minister of Advanced Education, and Minister of Technology, Innovation, and Citizen Services. He is a former Deputy Minister of the British Columbia Ministry of Economic Development, where he had responsibility for economic issues, trade, and tourism. He also served as Deputy Minister for Intergovernmental Relations in the Premier's office for two years. Prior to his election as MLA, as MLA uh, Andrew worked as a lawyer in the Vancouver offices of a major national law firm. And prior to be calling, being called to the bar, Andrew was educated and licensed as a physician. He lived and worked as a doctor in Campbell River, Lillooette and Dees Lake. He holds degrees from the University of Alberta, Dalhousie University, and Oxford University, where he attended as a Rhodes Scholar. He also served as president of the BC Civil Liberties Association, president of the BC Mountaineering Club, and president of the BC Liberal Party. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. Great to be here. Uh, Andrew, of course, this is the, the conversation we're having today is one that uh, everyone seems to be talking about. And this is the um, proposed speculation tax, amongst other things, that the provincial government uh, has uh, um, 
is wishing to, to have happen here. So let's talk about where we're at right now. Uh, this is a real estate show, so, you know, housing-related, real estate-related. Um, where are we at? Well, uh, it's a big topic, and uh, I live on the west side of Vancouver where the single-family dwelling sales have stalled completely. Their houses have been on the market for more than two years. There have been 20% price cuts across the street from my house. So in the overall housing market, the understood wisdom seems to be that in the lower mainland, uh, single-family dwelling prices are dropping, so no one wants to buy because they're waiting to see if they'll go down further. In the condo market, uh, there are a lot of these condos that are being completed now, and people that pre-sale contracts are uh, a little they're unclear nervous. whether they're going to complete the contract, yeah. whether they'll just go ahead and, and take possession or not. Uh, the prices are staying pretty static in the condo and townhouse market, but there's a general kind of uh, angst out there in that lower mainland market. Now, I interestingly had the chance to travel around the province and went to Revelstoke, and lo and behold, the answer is exactly the same there town of 5,000 people in a mountain canyon in the middle of the province. And you think, how is that possible? But this phenomenon of a turn in the housing market is spreading all around. We've heard about the uh, South Island situation, which you know much better than I do. Slightly different markets here. Langford is not Oak Bay. Uh, City of Victoria is not the same as North Saanich. So there are more diverse markets here, but I think a lot of the same issues apply. Partly it's in the big picture because we know that interest rates are creeping up. Now that the NAFTA deal has been done, there's talk about those rates going up further. Mm -hmm. uh, we're hearing a lot about the federal stress test, which means that people uh, buying a property had to prove that they had more than enough income, not just enough income. So all of these factors were uh, headed toward a slowdown in the market, and lo and behold, the NDP decided to kick the stuffing out of the market by putting on this phony speculation tax. And we should be clear, it has nothing to do with speculation. It's basically a tax on retirement properties. Mm -hmm. And it'll two-thirds of the people affected by it are British Columbians. These are not demons from somewhere else who are coming to steal our children mm -hmm. or to take over our condo properties. These are our neighbors. And so the NDP brought this in initially last spring as a concept. They had done none of the background work that is usually done on every tax measure. Normally, there's a big dossier in the Ministry of Finance, a huge file. Here's the modeling. Here's how it's working. Here's the roll-up plan. None of that work was done. And so this was done very much in the back of an envelope. It was an idea that came from a few academics. And lo and behold, it's proving to be unstable. So last summer, uh, the NDP said, well, we've changed our mind a little bit. We're going to uh, cancel the idea for a speculation tax, as they call it, their phony speculation tax in Parksville. We'll cancel it in uh, Saanich and the Gulf Islands, and we'll cancel it in Juan de Fuca, which is a little municipality west of Victoria, which happens to be in John Horgan's writing. The other interesting part is they rely upon the Green Party for their political support. They wouldn't be in government without the Greens, and lo and behold, the Gulf Islands are in one of the Green writings, one of three, and the Parksville exemption is perfectly suited to Andrew Weaver because he has a summer place there that he would have had to pay speculation tax on. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing has been very haphazard, very poorly planned out. And the concern that we are hearing everywhere from Radium Hot Springs, which is outside the tax zone, through to Langford, is that people are spooked by this. A lot of these purchasers are Albertans who want to come to BC to retire. 
and they like to plan ahead and they'll say, well, let's plan our property purchase in British Columbia. We'll put 10 or 20% down and then we'll uh, eventually move to BC after we've spent summers and winter holidays there. And what happens now is that 1% of their equity is taken away every year by the NDP. Yeah, that's the annual speculation tax. Yep. Exactly. So that if they are 10% down in 10 years, all of their investment is gone. Yeah. So this has put a real chill on Albertans wanting to retire in British Columbia, amongst other things. And as I said earlier, two-thirds of the people paying this are going to be British Columbians. And they're saying, you're just kicking the stuffing out of my retirement plans. Mm -hmm. We had planned to buy a place or already bought a place in you name it. Uh, the CRD, the Capital Regional District. Or they or they received one as an inheritance, right? Precisely. Yeah. Or in Metro Vancouver or in West Kelowna and Kelowna. So the upshot of this was the annual meeting of mayors was uh, through... September ago, 12th. Yeah, yeah in, uh, in Whistler. And they put for a resolution, all of the affected mayors said they want to have the choice of pulling out of this thing, opting out. Don't tax my town. We don't want this. It's going to be bad for our town. Mm -hmm. They passed that with a huge majority of votes and the NDP have just ignored it. So we're going to see where it all goes. Yeah, so the other part of that, by the way, was um, with the municipalities wanting to, to, to have the ability uh, to decide. They also want to be able to um, uh, have the, the funds collected, um, uh, put back into their, into their areas, right? Yeah, and that would be very unusual in that you say, oh, we're going to have a province-wide tax, but it's not on the whole province. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, we get that. There's the, there's the TransLink tax in Metro Vancouver. which And why transit. does that affect the uh, people outside of the Vancouver area, right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's this idea that if you're going to uh, single out my community for special taxation, then the mayors say, well, then you should leave the tax where it is collected, which is the idea of the TransLink tax. It's yeah. used for transit. But on this tax, the NDP have said, no, 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 it goes to general revenue. Yeah, interesting. We're uh, here in the studio right now with the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Wilkinson, talking uh, about the speculation tax. Uh, you've been quoted as saying, and you said uh, just at the start here, that the tax is phony. And I, I, I guess um, uh, what you're saying is it's not doing what it was sold to do. Exactly. Uh, they've introduced a phony school tax on high-end homes. It has nothing to do with schools. There is no relationship to schools whatsoever. But goodness me, you can't be opposed to a school tax. That's a good thing, mm -hmm. which is a big fraud by the NDP. They call this a speculation tax. And in fact, in the springtime, we introduced a condo flipping tax uh, bill into the legislature, which was saying if you have a paper contract for construction of a townhouse or condominium that hasn't been built yet, and you're flipping it three and four times to get the the free gain on that, there should be a tax to slow that down. Yeah. Because if you're a younger person in Metro Victoria or Metro Vancouver, that's probably going to be your first purchase in the marketplace. And it's kind of rubs you the wrong way when somebody bought it for, pick a number, $300,000, and it got marked up to four hundred or four fifty or 500 by people just flipping this paper contract. Well, and the other thing, too, uh, is that that act of uh, assignment, so selling the, the contract, that wasn't necessarily just the foreign investors. I no, mean, no, no, locals were doing that, too, right? Yeah, and that's speculation. Yeah. That's what our tax was directed at, and the NDP refused to discuss it at all. They said, no, we're going to stick with our phony speculation tax, which really has nothing to do with speculation. Yeah. We're talking here about the uh, speculation tax that the provincial government uh, is wanting to introduce into the province here. And our guest is the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew, thank you, thank you again for coming. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we will chat a little more. Back in just a moment.
Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you every week in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Carrie Augustini, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector from Inspectech. If you need an opinion from experts in insurance, mortgages, or building inspection, be sure to give them a call. Carrie, Carrie, and Denise are great people to chat with. We're talking today about the BC speculation tax, and our guest in the studio is the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew, thanks again for coming. Great to be here. Thanks. Now, I should mention to the uh, listeners as well, um, we want to have all angles here, and it's fantastic that you're here. Uh, we did schedule a, a visit with uh, Andrew Weaver. Uh, he got sick a couple of weeks ago, so we'll get him back at some point. Uh, and I have been in conversation with the finance minister's office as well, too. I happen to know Carol from uh, uh, community work and everything, uh, hoping that they'll come here as well. But really appreciate the fact that you are here. Uh, so much insight to provide. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, now, this whole idea about where we're at in British Columbia affordability-wise, you, you started off the conversation today by telling us about Revelstoke and about how the market there has been affected. Um, we, you know, we talk about things like the uh, um, stress test that was imposed, you know, for mortgages and everything. Uh, and these are things that, you know, although they were meant for the marketplaces that were going crazy, like Vancouver, they have an effect, uh, Vancouver or Toronto for that matter, because it's, it's national, right? Absolutely. Um, yet it's had an it's had a effect on every uh, uh, place. And not every town is undergoing this crazy explosion in real estate values. Precisely. And if you live in Chetwind or Medicine Hat, Alberta or uh, Estevan, Saskatchewan, you feel a bit miffed that the Vancouver and Toronto market pressures have driven up your cost of borrowing. Yeah. So that's, I guess, the price of doing business living in a big country. But I think the issue that is really germane to us here in BC is why would you add to that pressure as the NDP have with this phony speculation tax? We should talk also a little bit about the rollout of this thing. You know, it came up in in the legislature when I had a chance to ask hard questions of the premier, which is unusual. They try to avoid that. But um, I asked him, you know, there's no legislation authorizing this speculation tax of theirs at this point. So they're presumably going to introduce that this fall. And they have to get it passed by late November and get what's called royal assent, where it becomes officially the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to say... Well, probably a million households would be affected potentially. You have to send each one of them a questionnaire saying, how much do you occupy your home? Who's the primary owner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is this a secondary home? And then they have provision for what they're calling medical exemptions. So if you say, well, I live in my home in Victoria or Oak Bay, and uh, I actually didn't live in it for six months of last year because I was sick and was in hospital, then presumably they're going to have someone pass judgment on whether that's good enough reason not to pay their tax. Mm -hmm. So they will have to send out a million forms, get a million forms back, go through them. And you can imagine a lot of these homeowners are going to be fairly elderly and won't be terribly interested in writing out clear answers. Somebody's got to process all those forms, decide who's subject to the tax, decide if they think somebody's not telling the whole truth about how many months a year they're there, and then uh, go through the applications for medical exemptions. This is a massive, crazy process, which will be ex very expensive to administer. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to hire dozens of people to pause. So basically, who polices this? 
Precisely. Right? Yeah. And that's the key question is, is somebody going to ask for your medical records to decide whether you get a medical exemption? That's going down a crazy rat hole. When you get to that level, do you have to get a doctor to sign it off saying that you were sufficiently ill that you deserve to be exempted from a tax? I mean, listen to that. Mm -hmm. Do you have to have a doctor exempt you from a tax? <laughs> and uh, at the more practical level, are you telling the truth about how many weeks a year you were in that residence? And yeah. who's going to think on you? And is there going to be a tattletale system? And will there be? And will you get audited or yeah, something? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And can you prove that you were in your home for 27 weeks? Yeah. And if you think about that, well, how would I prove I was there? You tell me how you'd prove you were at home for 27 weeks. Well, I suppose you could pull out your cell phone records or something, but I mean, that's getting really deep into the hole. Uh, it gets to silliness, <laughs> yeah, is the yeah. point. It gets to a cumbersome thing. And this is why they don't have any of this kind of uh, prep work from the finance ministry, because the finance ministry folks are very clear that any tax provision has to be clear, transparent, effective universally applied and also easy to administer yeah. because if you create a monster it discredits the tax and as we all know with bicycle helmets if you tell people well we're not really going to enforce it then you lose the traction in the public that says this is a good thing yeah for sure um i mean it, it has definitely been contentious and we know we've heard people that have supported this measure uh, I mean, there's polls out there that say that British Columbians feel that this is necessary and things like that. Uh, when when you start talking about the mechanics, as you just did, it starts feeling very cumbersome. But um, And just to pause, if you did a poll saying, do you support our tax on people's retirement homes, the answer would be 10%. If you called the same thing, a speculation tax, people on the other end of the phone will say, oh, that sounds good, and say yes. Oh, goodness. We're here with uh, Andrew Wilkinson. Uh, the leader of the official opposition talking about uh, the BC uh, speculation tax here. There are some, uh, uh, as with everything, there's unexpected circumstances that happen. And I'll tell you a story about one of mine. So we have clients uh, from Alberta. So they're a retired couple. They have the means, you know, they have done very well in their business. Uh, they've owned, they owned a penthouse in the Inner Harbor for years, for many years. And they only spent maybe four months out of the year here. Um, they can afford to pay the tax. I mean, that's not an issue. They're angry about it. Their, uh, their friends are angry. Um, the feeling is that BC is not welcoming. Um, we, sold their, we sold their penthouse. The intention was they were going to sell and buy an acreage here in Victoria. But on the sale of the condo, they decided, we're going to take our money somewhere else. So they, they're going to be down in Palm Springs or some other place to enjoy their, um, uh, you know, their, their off days. Um, but the, the other ramifications were they, they did not cook. They went out for dinner every night. They went <laughs> shopping all the time. Yeah, they spent yeah. money in Victoria. They spent money, and not only, they, they, he had two boats, and they spent maintenance, uh, mortgage. He spent $100,000 a year on uh, his boats within the region here. Now, that's all gone. And, and this is me speaking firsthand. I've dealt with that, and it just makes me wonder, how is this good for the province? Yeah, and I think that's the, the pickle here, is that, there's no need to feel sorrow or pity for people who are really well off. We, you know, congratulate them on their success, but they don't deserve an awful lot of public kind of empathy. But what it does require is some understanding of what's good for the economy. And when you take a situation like that, where that's money that can be spent anywhere, and those Albertans were good enough to come and spend a good chunk of it here, that's something that we encourage. Mm -hmm. When that money leaves the province, that's a problem. 
And that is, you know, one of the unforeseen consequences of this thing is that it antagonizes people when they feel like what they have built up their plans around is suddenly being taken away. They get really uh, ventilated about it, and they do things that are absolutes. Yes or no? I've had it with British Columbia. I'm out of here. There's another angle on the speculation tax that people forget about, and being the phony speculation tax, it's about um, building uh, accommodations for people. It's an issue here in Victoria. It's a very big issue in Vancouver, is the time it takes to actually do anything once you purchase the property. So the classic one is along Canby Street in Vancouver, which is all being rebuilt from 1950s bungalows. You're talking the uh, development timeline. Exactly. Okay. So these 1950s bungalows are being purchased, and the zoning re- allows them now to build five-story buildings, and those house <coughs> ten times as many people or more. But what they do is they purchase the land. It then is subject to speculation tax because the houses are unoccupied, they're waiting for at least two years for city plans to come through. During that time, they will uh, have to uh, pay the speculation tax. And, of course, that gets built into the eventual purchase price for the purchasers yeah, of those who units. who pays that at the end of the day? It's not the builders. Yeah. It's the eventual buyers. Yeah. So the taxes, the tax baseline of that purchase just goes up and up and up. So the understanding now in Vancouver is to buy a single dwelling of any kind, you're looking at a minimum of $300,000 in government-imposed taxes. In addition to? Before the building gets built and before the land is bought. Yeah. And so what does that do to, you know, younger people who've arrived, they're 32, they say, okay, it's time, they're in a couple, they've got their assets combined, and they look around and think, well, we better find another $300,000 to keep the city and the province happy before we even look at the marketplace. Or maybe think about going somewhere else. Precisely. Yeah. And that's Canada's concern is, sure, it's an attractive place to live, but you got to have an income that exceeds your expenditures. You're going to go down the drain. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it means that people start to look elsewhere for employment. Amazing. We're here with the leader of the BC Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll be picking up our conversation on the BC speculation tax. Back in a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for joining us again. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking today about the B.C. speculation tax. With me here right now is the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew, thanks for coming. Good to be here. Um, you know, so many people have been talking about this, you know, um, support or not in support. I was at an event uh, a couple months back um, that Ken Mariash, the developer locally here, uh, put on. And one of the guests was uh, Brad Wall, uh, former Saskatchewan Premier. And one of the things that he mentioned to me was, or he mentioned to us, that 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 um, really hit home for me was this whole conversation about um, not diluting your brand. And when and it got me thinking, when the province instigates things like this, what are we doing about the brand? What are we doing to the brand of British Columbia? Well, this is a much wider conversation than real estate in terms of what uh, the current government is doing to British Columbia. I mean, we've got this crazy lawsuit that they've got in place to try and block a federally approved pipeline, which is owned by the people of Canada now. We have the governor of British Columbia saying, well, we're going to block this federally approved project even though Canadians own it. Uh, we've got their approach to property, which is in their phony speculation tax, the phony school tax. 
And all of this adds up to 18 new taxes that the NDP have either imposed or increased from uh, the lower taxes earlier on. And so the question then comes up for me as uh, the parent of people, kids, who are 20, 22, and 24, what are we telling them? There's no talk from the NDP about how to stimulate the economy except uh, the acceptance of the LNG Canada proposal in northern BC, which my kids would think isn't really relevant to them. And so what are these uh, youngsters supposed to do? The idea is to encourage employers, encourage employment, because it has been suggested that British Columbia has much more of a problem of lower incomes compared to the cost of living than the actual cost of living itself. It's expensive to live in Hong Kong or Tokyo or London or San Francisco, but their incomes are much higher than they are in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. So unless we can incent and encourage those kinds of well-paid jobs from employers, we'll continue to be in the struggle of a high cost of living with relatively low incomes, which really starts to grind on everybody. Well, yeah. well, one of the issues there is is it has been difficult to attract uh, good, good employ good employees here because of the cost of housing. Yeah, and this is a growing problem because if you think of yourself as being one of the national banks or the RCMP or an airline or any other employer that is national in scope and moves people around, as soon as you say to the twenty eight year old or the thirty eight year old in uh, Winnipeg or Calgary or Hamilton or Montreal, wow, good job opening in Vancouver. Would you like to go there? And the universities have a really big problem with this. Yeah. Uh, the employee comes and kicks it around, comes to Victoria on a sunny day like today and says, wow, this would be a great place to live, good schools, nice people, great way of life. And then they pick up the real estate magazine and think, holy smokes, mm -hmm. we cannot possibly afford this. So they go back to where they're from and give up. Yeah. Well, and the other half, too, is they may not be able to afford to buy, but they also can't find anything to rent. Exactly. Right. And so the locals, all of us, have pretty much figured it out. We have a bed to sleep in. But it also reduces our social mobility. When people like, I rented for 15 years, I know what it feels like. And sooner or later you think, well, it'd be nice to stop being a renter and turn into a someone who actually uh, is investing in something for the long term, and I'll eventually own it once I've paid off the mortgage. If you put bigger and bigger obstacles in their way, then people say, well, I'm, I'm stuck in the rental market. And to come back where we started, this phony speculation tax from the NDP drives up the cost of new rental accommodation. Mm. So that person who's at that age, you know, I moved, we did our first home purchase when I was 35. And that was at an affordable time, and I'll just mention in passing, it was at the end of the NDP regime when they had destroyed the property market and you could bid people down on properties. There'd been a 30% price correction at that point, a drop in market value because of an NDP government. So we don't want to see that kind of crash. What we'd rather see is prosperity and the right kind of package of incentives to get people to build rental housing. Because if there's more rental housing, the prices will moderate. The rents will have to moderate because there'll be a, a slight excess of housing in the rental market, which means that the landlords have to offer you a better deal. Yeah. Right now, the rental stock is shrinking as more and more rentals get converted to condominiums because they can't make the rentals pay. And that means that that 28-year-old is left high and dry. Yeah. You know, this is, this is such an important point here because something that comes up often in conversation is this whole conversation of uh, cutting off supply or demand. 
And uh, the, fa- the simple fact that we're not providing enough supply, particularly in the, the uh, markets of Vancouver and Victoria here. I mean, Victoria did not have any purpose-built rentals for 20 years. And, and even right now, whenever developers are building uh, rental-specific properties, sure, they're expensive. They're new. They're shiny. You know, it's got all the new stainless steel stuff and everything. And uh, there, there's often the thought of, well, why are they building this expensive stuff? But it is part of the housing continuum, right? Yep. And, and you know, we've got a bit of an idea on that. That I, in my last job before the election, was a minister of advanced education responsible for universities. And we had reached a point with that, and it was actually UVic was going to be the pilot project to say, look, why don't we provide a framework where private money can come in and build student housing in large numbers? When you think about that, that would take a huge number of students out of the rental market and mean that more rentals are available for non-students. And, you know, I I certainly didn't have granite countertops when I was renting. (laughs) (laughs) Stainless steel was something you saw in surgical instruments, not in your home. And so we do need to ensure that there's the full scale of rentals from very affordable, which might be a little bit scruffy like I lived in for many years, through the kind of mid-range, the more presentable stuff, and into the higher range. But we can't just provide higher range rental housing for people because the folks who are in those transitions in life, the ones who are coming out of school or changing jobs or get married for the first time, they're the ones you really got to look out for to make sure there's enough of a market of rental housing. Yeah, but what you touched on a little while ago was the fact that there are so many additional costs that developers have to look into uh, municipally, typically. And it, it makes almost absolutely no sense for a developer to even think about doing lower-end rental housing. Yeah, and that's a big problem because I think, you know, over time, I think of the places I lived in, they were mostly built in the 1920s or in the 1950s. And maybe they're occupied by owners or thought to be proper, uh, not high-end, but proper places to live. Over time, they became a little bit more scruffy and I lived in a lot of basement suites. That's got to be available to our our people, especially our younger people, Mm -hmm. or they will feel completely frozen out of the market and give up. And we do not want the situation where those younger people are forced to stay with their parents indefinitely mm-hmm. because that, first of all, leads to social tensions. It reduces their mobility. They don't get into that investment ladder of, of, of building home equity. It's not good. So we've got to make sure there's that mid-range rental. The NDP approach has been to say, well, let's just penalize the landlords and drive down rents. Mm-hmm. That's never going to work. We all know that. Landlords will give up. They'll stop renting out their basement suite. They'll um, build condos instead of building rental. And also there's the phenomenon of no increase in aggregate supply, which is like I was saying, if we could get more student housing for students, that would take a whole whack of people out of the rental market and create opportunities for people who are not students. And those are the ones you got to worry about. Yeah, and it, it takes some real creativity from the standpoint of a developer to start thinking about that kind of property because otherwise in a market like this, it makes more sense for them to sell market condominiums. Absolutely. Right? When they sell the condo, they're done. They walk away. Yeah. They don't have to worry about NDP rent policies, which may put them underwater. Because remember, they're still paying all the mortgages in these places, assuming that the rents, the rent income will exceed the mortgage cost. Yeah. If the mortgage cost bumps up, 
and the NDP have put a cap on rental changes, then suddenly the developer says, well, I'm out of here. I'm selling the whole damn thing. Well, this is something I think that people forget about is they often think that, oh, developers got deep pockets. They're just going to come in. They're going to pay cash for this stuff. They're going to own it outright. They never do. It's all leverage money, right? Well, and nobody's going to make an investment that's destined to lose money. Yes. They will just stay away. Yeah. Why would they? Oh, there's no point. And then word gets around, you can't make money in British Columbia, so don't invest there, and suddenly it goes dry. Well, and this is something you've bumped into with builder behavior, right? We're seeing this in a big way already, actually. We've heard about it from Langford, from West Kelowna, where rental construction projects have been cancelled. Mm-hmm. They were and underway or, or They were to. in the planning stages, and the the people who are prepared to, to build these things just say, Sorry, it's not going to work. Forget it. That's too volatile right now. We heard about this in Radium Hot Springs, which is outside of this the NDP's speculation tax zone, where the Albertans just said, forget it. It doesn't apply here now, but they've never heard of an NDP tax that goes down. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of uh, spooked mentality is really problematic for our society as a whole. Mm-hmm. It was interesting you mentioned West Kelowna because one of my colleagues uh, we had on the air a few weeks back, she was telling us about the fact that over the summertime, typically uh, the golf courses would be filled with uh, trucks with Alberta plates. And this year of all years, there is very few. Yeah, and this is a wider thing that a lot of Albertans got uh, very upset about John Horgan's plans about the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline. And we hope that they'll get over that now since we all own it. We're federal taxpayers. And we'll see where that goes. And then the speculation tax is just another kick in the in the pants. So Albertans have, in a big way, said they'll just stay away. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, actually. I was in an event in Kelowna. There were 350 people there. And they were very upset about this tax profile. And I just thought, well, maybe I'll just ask them. I lived in Alberta when I was in high school. And uh, I said to this crowd of 350, so how many of the people in this room have either lived or worked in Alberta in the past, 70% of them put up their hands. Mm -hmm. And so some of us tend to forget that we're part of a big country and people have charter rights to move wherever they want to, and they do. We don't want to become that pariah place where nobody wants to be involved because the costs are so high and the locals are unfriendly and it's just a bad karma place, and we're dangerously close to that with the NDP. Well, uh, you know, this conversation's been going on for years about uh, about the foreign buyer, the foreign profile, and the statistics remain the same. Like, it's not a huge number, uh, but yet, you know, these things have, have come into play. Um, you know, there was recently uh, um, a letter that went out to a realtor in Vancouver that was the most uh, grossly racist uh, um thing that I've read in a long time and and uh, I was interviewed here at CTV talking about this and it just it makes me wonder where are we going right now in the well things, you yeah know? you're exactly right and there's this phenomenon that uh, David Eby the uh, attorney general is running up the flagpole now he maintains that there's some kind of scandal about money laundering and real estate where's the proof there are every land title in British Columbia let alone Canada has names and addresses associated with it. Mm. So if you say something's been the subject of money laundering, point to the house, because this is really thinly veiled and it's directed at Chinese people. Yeah, um, Andrew, thank you very much for coming today, uh, giving us your time. Uh, this is the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Wilkinson, who we've had on the show all day today. Um, thank you for the work that you do. Um, we all respect those in elected uh, uh, government positions. I wish that were true. Uh, And for the rest of the listeners, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be here for you this time next week.